For sports content from the biggest leagues and competitions across the world, look no further than Reuters Connect, Reuters online news content platform. Reuters Connect makes finding the sports content you need easy, whether it's in-depth reporting from Reuters journalists or access to video highlights from around the world. Bring the world of sport directly to your workplace with Reuters Connect. For more information and a free trial, visit ReutersConnect.com. Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week, we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rulemakers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Haro, inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, we're keeping score on the record Everything you need to know inside sports this week. Deal-making issues, three to one. Three. A new study by OLBG.com revealed the highest-paying football leagues in the world. The three highest, over a billion a year. Number one league, unsurprisingly, English Premier League. Annual wages of $2.3 billion. It's clear the talent and players there are being compensated. We know that. Revealed of the MLS, 11th highest in the world paying their players $259 million a year. The highest-playing club in, is Barcelona, a wage bill of $324.4 million. We know what happened to them. And additionally, the three highest-playing clubs, Barcelona, Real Madrid, and PSG, all dwarf the MLS wage bill by a minimum of $15 million. The Italian city of A followed behind the EPL, wage bill of $1.6 billion, a significant step below the English. Lowest-paying league, the I-League in India, Wage bill of $6.9 million. They will catch up soon. That's deal-making issue number three. Two. How about number two? Florida, getting closer to legal sports betting, pushing for statewide legal gambling. The passage of the gaming compact with the Seminole Tribe allowing sports betting statewide. Florida looks to be on track to have statewide betting legalized before the football season kicks off. The compact, negotiated by Governor Ron DeSantis back in April, covers all games conducted by the tribe, but also gives the Seminoles the exclusive right to roulette and sports betting at their facilities. Approved by a bipartisan vote, the, later, the latter given the green light, with the Seminole tribe saying they hope to be fully operational by October or November. Still work to be done. A big step toward legalized statewide sports betting in Florida. One. Fanatics set to replace Panini as the official trading card partner of the NBA. Sportico reported last week that Fanatics has been in talks with the two organizations to replace Panini, which has held the exclusive license with the NBA since 2009. Current deal runs through 2026. Now, The Athletic reports that Fanatics has reached an agreement which will see the NBA and its Players Association have equity in Fanatics' new trading card company. The contract should be just the start for Fanatics in this space. Just last week, Major League Baseball and the Players Union struck a deal to replace Tops as the trading card licensee in 2025-2023, respectively. And Fanatics and now reached exclusive agreement with the MLB, NBA, NFL, and the deal with the MLB ended a 70-year relationship with Tops. Soon, they're going to cut deals with high school sports. Well, not so fast in discrediting that. We talk about that today. All aspects of the business of high school sports with one of the folks that knows best, Dr. Robert Zayas, who is the executive director 
of the New York State Public High School Athletic Association. Met with him in his office in Albany. He has all things covered. Commercialization, growth, the sponsorship of major events. How does he deal with stewardship of his 600,000 students and 800 schools under his tutelage in New York? And what kind of role model will he be and that state be for all things high school? How about NIL? That's one of the key issues we talk about with Dr. Robert Zayas. Here he is now. We're talking about a whole variety of sports on the high school level, and nobody better than Dr. Robert Zayas, who is the executive director of the New York State Public High School Athletic Association. The key is the beginning of the football season across the land, but with NIL and a whole bunch of other stuff going on, it is a big deal. I've been honored enough to meet with him in Albany at the state capitol, the offices uh, near there three weeks ago. Very visionary about all levels of high school sports. Need to talk about that now. Robert, doctor, how are you? Wonderful. I appreciate you having me on. Well, look, it's very important to all of us to get some perspective on high school sports. Uh, first of all, kind of give us an elevator speech about what the New York State Public High School Athletic Association is like. I assume it kind of mirrors the governing bodies of other associations all over the country. So tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, it certainly does. We are most known for creating the rules and regulations for which all students participate and the game rules that they abide by while participating in games and contests. We work on behalf of about 600,000 student athletes in the, throughout the state of New York and about 800 member high schools. And you're absolutely correct. Every state association throughout the country looks and operates in a similar manner, but there's also a great deal of differences as well. Well, and the differences, I guess, are jurisdiction, uh, how you work under or with the local school boards and departments of education, uh, budget fundraising, how you raise your money, what the jurisdictions are, uh, whether it's major events or, 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 or running individual sports. So kind of tell us what, what uh, separates you guys from maybe other organizations like yours around the country. Well, each state association throughout the country is really driven and guided by the initiatives created by the member schools throughout their association. So member schools uh, make up the association. I am not the New York State Public High School Athletic Associations, although I serve as the executive director. Um, the member schools of our association is what makes up the association. I think one of the things that differentiates us here in New York from many associations throughout the country is that we have defined sections. So we have 11 geographic sections. California has eight sections. So California and New York are very similar in that, that we have um, sectionals underneath the umbrella of the organization, and they're essentially small states within the association. And so we all understand that there are different structures in all 50 states, but there are common issues, common challenges, uh, common opportunities, and, and, and let, let's, let's talk about some of those right now. First, the whole corporate involvement in high school sports, broadly defined. Uh, you've got major events that are sponsored. Uh, you, I know, host uh, your bread and butter is hosting, you know, the major championships around the country or around New York. Uh, you've got sponsorship opportunities for, for, uh, 
for teams, for localities, for media buys. Well, what's what's your broad perspective on the corporate involvement in high school sports? Uh, how much is appropriate and how much is too much? Yeah, Rick, I was just talking about this topic with athletic directors in the um, Syracuse area earlier this week. And corporate sponsorships are a big part of our operational budget, and they really make up and give us the ability to host an awful lot of programming for student athletes that without the corporate involvement, we would not have the ability to provide that programming and some of those state championship events. For example, we have a skiing championship that we do not charge admission for, but we provide that event for those student athletes who are participating. Same thing with our golf and tennis championships. We do not provide admission or we do not charge admission for those state championship events, but we are able to put those programs on. We also have a number of non-athletic programs. We have a scholar athlete program. We have a community service program. Um, we have a student athlete advisory council. Those are all things that require money and having corporate sponsorships gives us the ability to provide those opportunities for students throughout the state. Talk about the kinds of corporate stuff, because I know you are a, a visionary uh, in your context and in, 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 in high school sports and an opinion leader, you've, you've done similar stuff in Texas and New Mexico and, and you're, uh, you're, you're a lifer at a young age, but you've been, you've, you've, you've been around the block. Yeah, we've been real fortunate. A few years ago, we were introduced to a company out of North Carolina called Teal Properties Group, uh, referred to as TPG. And they're a third-party sponsorship company, similar to IMG or, or Learfield in the college space. So TPG is currently working with over 20 state high school athletic associations, mainly on the East Coast and Alaska. But what Teal Properties does is they have essentially taken over our sponsorship rights. And with TPG, we have the opportunity to approve all sponsorships that are generated through the high school athletic association. So TPG has a salesperson, a general manager in our office, and they sell the sponsorships. We approve them. And ultimately, the student athletes throughout the state benefit from that relationship and partnership. We understand corporations are very significant in terms of generating revenue. We know that. A lot of corporations, though, there's some pushback. There's many discussions about soft drinks and candy and other things in schools. Uh, corporations bring a lot of money. There are also some issues. Where do you come out on all of that? Well, I think each one has to be taken individually. I think it's very difficult to put a blanket over a specific group and say these companies are not going to be looked at. Obviously, I mean, when you're looking at high school sports, anything having to do with alcohol or tobacco um, or gambling, those are off limits. Um, but I think when it comes to other types of companies, whether it be soft drinks, um, what type of soft drink is most appropriate? Here in New York, chocolate milk is the official beverage of our state high school athletic association. So I think when we're looking at corporate sponsorships, it's really important to try to figure out what companies fit in with the goals and initiatives of the association and then see how we can provide opportunities for them and what in return they can provide to us as an association to be able to create programming and provide additional opportunities for student athletes throughout the state. Got it. Let's talk media for a minute. You know, years ago, it was incredibly unique to see a high school football game on a Wednesday night or a Friday night. Now you watch ESPN and Fox and other places. It hasn't taken over, but it's a lot more prolific than it used to be. 
Where's it going? What do you think of it all? How important is the revenue? Well, the revenue is important, but more important than the revenue, it's the promotion and the highlighting of those student athletes, whether it be on television or through our streaming network, the NFHS network that's involved with, I believe, 47 states throughout the country. So definitely revenue is important, but I'm much more focused upon how can we promote the good things that student athletes are doing? How can we provide them with the ability to be seen by friends and family throughout the country and really throughout the world? And I think our streaming platform gives us the ability to do that. And the awareness part, obviously important. You do run the state championships, football, basketball, as I remember it. And, of course, all of that becomes incredibly important if it's televised, right? Well, not just if it's televised, but also if it's streamed, because I think our streaming platform gives us the ability to get and reach out to even more people than what the event would be if it was just purely linear. Um, The digital platform is extremely important to be able to have more outreach to more people, not just in the local area, but throughout the entire country. Let's now talk about the... um, I don't know if it's an 800-pound gorilla. It's a pretty heavy gorilla uh, because we've now started it. The the whole name, image, likeness issue a year and a half ago, NCAA President Emmert said, we're going to let college athletes be paid. We'll work out the details come July of this year. You still let them get paid. The details aren't as clear. You got state solutions. You got college athletic department solutions. uh, You've got conference solutions. But one of the things that's receiving a lot of interest, and you pointed out to us in our earlier shows, is what happens at the high school level. Um, how is a whole NIL world changing your view on um, high school sports generally and the payment of student-athletes specifically? Well, since July 1st, when the NCAA lifted their NIL rules, and regulations. We've really been trying to look at this from my perspective as the executive director here in New York from a proactive approach rather than reactive. And um, in researching our rule right now, and it's our amateur rule, that rule was developed in 1980. And what that rule basically says is that a student athlete at the high school level here in New York is not able to capitalize upon their athletic fame. Well, it's become much more difficult to differentiate between a student capitalizing on their athletic fame and being a social media influencer. And it's even more difficult and more challenging now that they're not jeopardizing their collegiate eligibility since July 1st. So what we're doing here in New York is we're trying to model our amateur rule after what California currently does. And that's essentially to say student athletes are not able to capitalize on their athletic fame in affiliation with their school school team, or state association. And what that would give a student the ability to do is monetize on their name, image, and likeness, but they can't do that in a school uniform. They can't do that associated with their school mascot or school logo or our state high school athletic association logo. So where do you think this is going around the country? Your solution is a reasonable, enlightened, entrepreneurial one. Uh, Well, first of all, what is the approval trail of your solution? Well, we presented it to our board of directors at the end of July, and then on October 20th, we'll go back to our board for approval. So I'm confident and optimistic that the membership sees the need to revise our rule to this extent, as I just explained. Again, our rule was created in 1980, long before the internet and uh, anything referred to as Twitter or Instagram or TikTok. 
was even thought of. So I think one of my concerns is always the rules and regulations that we have as an association. We have to constantly be looking at them and trying to identify areas of needed improvement or areas that need revision. And I think this is a classic example of a rule that we must review and we must look at uh, to ensure that we're able to enforce it and that it's most beneficial for the student athletes that are having to abide by it. Is one of the goals ultimately as an opinion leader in the industry that more and more states will take a look at this solution and come up with some similar uh, solutions to their particular issues? Yeah, Rick, as I explained earlier in the show, each state association is guided by the member schools that make up their association. So here in New York, I think I've been able to, to talk to our member schools and, and see that they're interested in revising our rule. Other state associations may speak to their membership and the membership may be staunchly opposed to changing or modifying or revising their amateur rules to allow a student to benefit off of their NIL. So really, this is something that I'm looking at specifically for the state of New York. I'm hoping that if other states are interested in what we're doing, we're able to provide them with information, rationale, and justification as to why we think it's important. I can tell you our lobbyists and our legal counsel certainly are in support of us revising this rule, as I just described. Tell me one other thing as far as this in the future. Project ahead with the crystal ball five years from now, and I know it's only been a month and a half of active NIL work at the college level, so it is a tremendous leap. But are we are we thinking about the gifted eighth graders who are in this mix now, too? What's, where is this all going? Well, I think that's the concern is how do we enforce a rule for a student athlete that they're doing something completely unaffiliated to their school? And one of the examples I've been using as I speak with athletic directors throughout our state is if a student athlete can wash cars at a car dealership for $15 an hour on the weekend, why can that same student athlete not entice people to come to that same car dealership and purchase a car as long as they're doing so unaffiliated to their school? Now, obviously, the contract that would be written up for that student athlete to endorse that car dealership would be important because the car dealership could not. And that's one thing that we're trying to make sure that we uh, note in our rule that it cannot be performance based. So that car dealership cannot pay a student uh, $1,500 to advertise or endorse their dealership. And then also include that for every touchdown scored by that student athlete, they would pay them an additional $100 for the season. That would be performance based and that would jeopardize their amateur status within our association. You're pretty clear on the slippery slope. Let's just see what happens over the next five years. Finally, what happens and where is, in your mind, high school sports generally? And I'm just not talking about New York because it's quite clear, given the interview with you, New York's in good hands. But where do you see high school sports broadly defined going in the next two years? Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a really interesting place because look at the amount that youth sports has changed the, has changed the high school sport landscape over the course of the last decade, more so now than ever. Parents are spending their entire summer traveling with their son or daughter. They're funneling more money into their children's um, athletic endeavors than they ever have before. And what does that do to that student athlete? What does that do to that interscholastic high school program? Um, what does that do to, that, the, to the family dynamics when that student is spending so much time at such a young age 
participating in their sport of choice or the sport of choice decided upon by the family, um, what does that do to that student when they finally get to the high school level and they've been playing soccer or they've been playing baseball or volleyball for the last eight or nine years? And now all of a sudden they're put into a different type of element of participation where no longer the parents are no longer paying the coach's salary, so to speak, through the club fees. Um, the parents don't have as much say. Um, so I think that's definitely impacting the way that students participate. But I do think that high school sports are more popular than they ever have been. I think that kids are getting more and more benefit out of participation and research continues to show us that when students participate in high school sports, they get better grades. They attend school at a much greater rate. They have less discipline problems when compared to their non-participating classmates. So all of those things collected together, I think we're headed in a very positive direction, but I am somewhat concerned about how youth sports will ultimately impact the student athlete over the course of the next 10 years because we need to be cognizant that kids are playing at a much younger age than they ever have before, and they're more focused than they ever have before at the age of five and six. And how is that going to ultimately change high school sports as we know it today? And I think we as interscholastic administrators need to be aware that kids are playing at a much younger age. Parents are more involved than they ever have been before. And um, what can we do with our rules our rule enforcement and rule creation to ensure that we're going to be able to provide a positive experience for those students when they get into high school and they start participating at the interscholastic level. Well, one thing, two things are very clear to me. Number one is New York is in really good hands in the future of high school sports. Second, you've got your hands full today and in the future as the entire business morphs into another completely different but compatible level. Dr. Robert Zayas has an interesting relationship and take on his world, having some perspective from New Mexico, Texas, and other states that he's been in and worked in. And clearly, the bottom line is we are just getting started with this whole issue in high school sports. How about the Sports Tech Minute? Barstool Sports Sportsbook went live in New Jersey last week. It's seventh and biggest state yet. New Jersey Penn National Gaming Sportsbook, the 19th online sportsbook in the Garden State, and launched through Freehold Raceways license. Freehold jointly owned by Penn National and Greenwood Gaming. Sportsbook can be accessed by both browser and app, but it's not for everyone just yet. Popov says a sportsbook only available to the first 500 people during its soft launch. A Penn National spokesman confirmed the launch. In addition to their new sportsbook opening, they ran a promo on their new app for the Jake Paul versus Tyrone Woodley fight. A $1,000 risk-free bet for the new partners who signed up ahead of the fight. And here we go. And then finally, as always, the Good Sports 5 during and after the pandemic. WNBA players partner with online marketplace Parity. The WNBA president said in Michelob's new Ultra, Save It, See It commercial that encourages fans to save women's sports content they watch on social media. And Mick Ultra committed $100 million to women's sports for Women's Equality Day. The goal is to raise the visibility of women's sports beyond big cultural events and on the fact that women are involved in sports every single day. Sports High to give 35000 in sponsorship to female athlete students. Scholarships awarded based on the student's Sports High profile which they detail their achievements across academics, sports, extracurricular, and employment. 
an investment in the app Stash, sponsors the San Francisco 49ers to provide financial literacy and promote it. Financial literacy training will also be added to the curriculum for STEAM education field trips at Levi Stadium for K-8 students in the Bay Area. Kindergarten through 8 will take advantage of all of this. Finally, Gavin Weir may be the most dominant Little League player of all time. His talents, sure to be noted going forward, got to appear on CBS this morning on Friday. Will NIL be far in the future? Well, that's for another day. Sports professor Rick Harrow, we'd like to thank Robert Zayas for weighing in on issues such as what we just talked about from the high school perspective. We'd like to thank you all for listening and watching. And we'd like to thank everybody for enjoying the business of sports at $1.3 trillion and growing. Joining us next week when we continue on this, on this track to enjoy the inside business of sports and all its glory. Action Images is the global multimedia sports agency of Reuters. Leagues, teams and federations around the world rely on Action Images to create, distribute and monetize their content. Action Images' global footprint means sports media expertise is never far away. For more information, visit actionimages.com.